Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. Welcome back to International School of the Words, ISO Insights. Our podcast here, today's guest is Sandra K. Williams, Pastor Sandra K. Um, we're lucky to have her back. She's been an ISO teacher in studio for our Women in Ministry Conference. Sandra K. Williams is currently the prayer and women's ministry pastor of North Cleveland Church of God. She has previously served as the international director of women's ministries for the Church of God. Her passion is for young girls to see godly female leadership in the church. Sandra K. serves as an executive pastor of North Cleveland Church of God alongside her husband. She has been married to Mark Williams for over 30 years. Like I mentioned, she's one of the teachers of ISO's course, Women in Ministry, and she instructs on topics such as marriage, motherhood, ministry, and career. And she discusses women with varying roles in the Bible, including evangelists, women guiding and protecting their families and communities, all for the purpose of bringing the power of God and the strength of the gospel. Sandra Kay, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Matthew. It's truly an honor and a privilege to be part of this wonderful organization. We love uh, Brian and Faith Cutshaw, longtime friends in ministry, and we're just so honored to be with you today. Thank you so much. Well, I'll dive right in and just go ahead talking about testimonies. All believers have a story and a testimony of how God met them where they're at, and all ministers have a time of being called and set apart. Um, when was the moment that you felt the Lord called you to ministry and set you apart? Um, I can pinpoint uh, the time. It was in 1985, um, that summer. I was 16 years old. And I was already, you know, pretty dedicated uh, to the Lord. I was attending church uh, by myself, in fact. Mm. Uh, my parents were not in church at that time. Um, but I was in an accident uh, with mm. some friends. Um, we had gone to a contemporary Christian uh, concert. You know, that was kind of controversial in those days. Yeah. And um, on the way back, uh, our driver fell asleep behind the wheel, and he... We were in a paneled van, um, and we were just sitting on a bench. It wasn't like we had seat belts and stuff. It was so unsafe. But we rolled three times and flipped end over end. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. we all came out alive. And interestingly enough, we are all in ministry now. Um, but while I was in the hospital, um, and then in the days following, I was uh, staying with my grandparents up in Weatherford, waiting for my parents to arrive from Houston to pick me up and take me home. But while I was lying there in my grandparents' uh, guest bedroom, and by the way, my grandparents uh, were my heroes in mm. ministry. Uh, they built 22 churches, really? and he wow. uh, was a pioneer uh, pastor born in 1919. Um, so my time with them was always very precious in the summer, but while I was lying in that bed, um, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, um, and, and said, I want more than your heart. Mm. I want your whole life. Um, and that's the point at which, uh, and I, I always cry when I say this, I'm going to try not to. Okay, Lord. And, and I'm lying there and the tears are coming down my eyes into my ears. And I said, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And I'll be what you want me to be. And 
I had no clue what I was saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I meant it with all of my heart. And so the Lord just continued to confirm that call. And in 1988, I had already graduated high school by then, and there was a program in the Church of God called a Ministerial Internship Program. It was kind of at the beginnings of the stages of that. It has developed further now. But mm-hmm. um, I told my pastor that I wanted to go through the ministerial internship program. It was rather intensive. And I was in college taking about 18 hours and and took that on as well. But my pastor, his name was W.T. Ainsworth. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And interestingly enough, my grandfather set him forth in ministry when he was a young man. But when I told him, um, I don't know it was because of his relationship with my grandfather or if he actually recognized the call of God on my life. I want to think that he did, but he said, okay. And he signed the paper and he let me, he let me go through ministerial internship program. And so, wow. um, th- those were those significant mm-hmm. moments of answering the call and saying wow. yes to him. And throughout that summer, the Lord gave me dreams. Um, one, um, one mm-hmm. in particular, um, at that time in my life, I would I sang, you know, mm-hmm. I taught Sunday school, led bus ministry, but um, you know, you 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 can only see mm-hmm. so far, and uh, there weren't a whole lot of female, you know, preaching role models in those days in our circles of influence. But um, in my dream, I could see me up preaching to this sea of mm-hmm. Hispanics, wow. and um, I loved the Spanish language, still do, took lots of Spanish through school. Um, and I thought, I woke up and I thought, but I, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't know what that's about. And I just felt the Lord say, trust me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, decades later, I have preached at women's conferences all over the world, uh, and to Hispanic women's conferences and preached in Spanish to them. I would have never imagined, you know, all those years ago. And so God just, you know, confirms and confirms and further mm-hmm. confirms. And so um, I, wow. just, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that, that was a rather lengthy does. answer. No, perfect. Uh, you know, that leads me into uh, another thought. When you were, first of all, I do want to get on later because I've heard you in, even in your sermons. I've been to your church before. I listened to. Uh, I remember one sermon in particular where you talked about um, Christ's love for uh, those that are Gentiles in, in the Jewish context, which mm-hmm. translates to us as those that are foreigners or those that aren't like us or don't come from the culture that we come from. And I'd love to talk more, even more about that later. And I want to talk about um, as a woman at that time in your life, as a young woman, did you feel a culture around you in the church that supported that call to ministry? Was it a little bit of an uphill battle? Um, um, that's that is a complex question. Um, my my father, uh, mm-hmm. God rest his soul, we we lost him in 07, but he was always very supportive mm-hmm. of me. When I mentioned I wanted to go MIP, I didn't have to raise the money; he paid for it. Wow. Uh, paid my trips to Weatherford every uh, month uh, for those training sessions. Um, my pastor, you know, he gave me opportunities. Uh, to lead, but never to really preach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, in the Church of God, women at that time were not even allowed to, you know, offer communion or baptize their wow. own converts, things wow. like that. Um, 
thankfully that has mm -hmm. changed and I think more change is coming uh, mm -hmm. for, in the horizon for, for younger women coming up. Um, but yeah, it, it's a mixed bag. There, there are those who really hold to a Pentecostal theology mm -hmm. that um, the Spirit empowers women mm -hmm. with the same gifts, um, that yeah. we're all full image bearers mm -hmm. and that women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom. Um, but then there are those that are influenced by other uh, schools of thought and theology, mm -hmm. like you know the Reformed and Calvinists and fundamentalists, mm -hmm. who um, who want to suppress the gifts of women. Of course, simultaneously want to suppress the gifts of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the way I look at it is, um, you know, those uh, the, the Holy Spirit empowers women, mm -hmm. and anyone who disempowers women in the callings of God are not working against women. They're working against the spirit. And that's a scary thing. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't dwell on those who don't hold, uh, to our mm -hmm. egalitarian, uh, mutualist theology. I see. I see. Um, and m since, since we have those examples, you know, that we, we don't want to dwell on, how about the women of God that you saw as a young woman as role models to look to. Are there, is there any particular one example that you could look to and say that she was really an inspiration to me? Uh, sure, my grandmother. Mm. Uh, now she was a pastor's wife. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, that role is a noble role mm. and it's a beautiful um, opportunity. Uh, my grandmother was not called to preach, um, but she was called to come alongside uh, mm -hmm. my grandfather. Um, and when I spoke at her funeral, I likened her to a velvet brick uh, <laughs> because she was soft and gentle, mm -hmm. beautiful, gracious, kind, generous uh, on the outside. Um, but she was a brick. She mm -hmm. was a tower of strength on the inside. She was not easily um, swayed. Uh, she knew her own mind. She was very intelligent mm -hmm. and articulate. Um, and yeah, I would say my grandmother for sure. Uh, my mother-in-law, who is now 92, mm. uh, she also, though not a preacher, um, was a beautiful role model for me. And one of the things that she taught me uh, several years ago, uh, I, w I think I was putting myself down or complaining about something. Mm. And, and she said, Sandra Kay, there just comes a point in time where you just have to accept yourself. And um, I thought, yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've never been one to be real intimidated. Mm -hmm. um, I guess because my father uh, instilled confidence in me, and I really mm -hmm. think that's where uh, most of my confidence comes from, is having a father that, that cheered me on. He was pretty hard on me. Uh, but, yeah, uh, probably those family members the mm -hmm. most. And then, of course, there are those heroes from a distance, like, you know, missionary Margaret Gaines mm -hmm. or international women's leader Mary Ruth Stone, who just recently uh, went home to be with the Lord. But, um, but by and large, it was those that were closest um, to me, that mm -hmm. I could see their lives up close uh, and what it meant uh, to serve the Lord and give uh, their life for uh, the kingdom and for the gospel. 
And in the scriptures, there are many examples. Um, oh, definitely in the New Testament, of course, in the Old Testament of women of God that the Spirit of the Lord came onto and used in mighty ways mm -hmm. um, and that stood as <laughs> people of great faith. Um, I know that in Crystal, we have Crystal Smith in the, in, in, here in the audience today watching us. We had an interview with her and we were talking about the faith of Mary as greater than Abraham, um, as a woman of, of faith, the mother of Jesus. Uh, is there any example, are there examples that you can think of in the Bible that you've drawn from in your teaching for young ladies? Absolutely. Great women of faith. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, right now, it's real popular on social media to talk about Judges uh, chapter 4 and uh, Yael, or, or Jael, as mm -hmm. some call her. Um, she was definitely bold and courageous, but uh, the women that I am really more drawn to are... Um, of course, Abigail, mm. you know, uh, from First Samuel chapter 20, uh, she was married to a brute mm -hmm. <laughs> who was unkind, ungenerous, mm -hmm. rude, um, and she was gracious, mm -hmm. wise, um, intelligent, and she really, um, and humble, you know, mm -hmm. he was so haughty and prideful, and she was so humble, and because of her wisdom, um, you know, and acting quickly mm -hmm. uh, to go to David because she realized every, all the men in her household and her people were going to be killed mm -hmm. <laughs> because of the way her husband had treated David. Um, and so she, she humbles herself before him. And here she is a wealthy woman and mm -hmm. he's a poor renegade. But she humbled herself before him and offered him gifts and, um, and really spared lives. Yeah. So another lifesaver um, and very wise woman um, is the woman uh, in, I think it's uh, Second Samuel chapter mm. 20. Um, and you'll remember Joab um, was chasing after this rebel Sheba. Mm -hmm. And so Sheba takes refuge in the city of uh, Beth Abel Maaka. Okay, mm -hmm. and so a lot of cities had wise women in them, and there is this wise woman there, and uh, Joab besieges the city, and he's about to tear down their wall. He's he's just going to go in and kill everybody in order to get this one man, mm -hmm. and so she calls down from the wall, and she says, "Joab, um, y'all go get him. I want to talk to him." And so she reasons with Joab, who is a killer. Uh, he has just killed Amasa on the way, mm -hmm. who is uh, David's. Uh, loved one. And um, she says, let's reason this out a little bit, friend. <laughs> and, um, and so she, uh, she says, why would you destroy uh, a city where people, you know, seek refuge? This is, this place is known for, for wisdom. Um, and he goes, well, just give me Sheba. And she says, okay, we'll throw his head over the wall. And she did, and she spared her city. <laughs> and so that is a courageous woman. And the mm -hmm. fact that she had the respect of the entire city, um, you know, it, it speaks volumes of yeah. her leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and rather than seeing her city destroyed, she she gives him this 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 rebel mm. uh, and. And I'm sure it's, that takes decisiveness. Oh, um, yeah. And oftentimes uh, in environments in the world and throughout cultures, men have been threatened by decisiveness among women as, as uh, part of insecurity. Mm -hmm. I think that's pre pretty clear. But um, he listened to reason. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, he, he was like, oh, I see the sense in that. And, and basically she, is, she says, if, if you do this, you're, you're working against the covenant. You're working yeah. against God. Absolutely. And he's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, we'll do that. 
Well, I think that that's in, in the New Testament, uh, the Spirit of God gives eloquence, wisdom, and decisiveness to people like Stephen. That's where the, even the leaders and the high priests were saying to these individuals that were uneducated. They said these mm -hmm. men are uneducated, yet yeah. they're speaking with wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. Jesus even said in, oh, I believe it was Luke, where he said, one day you're going to be dragged before courts and kings, but don't think up what you're going to say then because my spirit will give you wisdom. Right. Um, so I think it's an amazing thing to, uh, to, to open up the minds of the church to know that anyone that the spirit of God is upon and uses will speak with that same wisdom. And we better listen. That, that's an amazing example in scripture of a, of a woman of valor standing up and doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If nobody had done it, the city would have been destroyed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she was looking out for her own. Mm -hmm. She was a mother of the city, much like Deborah, you know, yeah. a mother, uh, figure matriarch uh, with authority mm -hmm. uh, with prophetic voice with wisdom those things yeah, yeah. Th those are the ones I admire I know that you had we talked about in your course here uh, Miriam <laughs> watching over Moses could you talk a little bit about that right now sure um, you know Miriam was just a child mm -hmm. in in the lesson uh, that I shared last year uh, but she grows up mm -hmm. and and is seen as a leader among uh uh, the entire nation, but um, she was a protector of of Moses. Yeah. You know, she was looking out for him. Um, she was so bold to approach Pharaoh's daughter, mm -hmm. and so uh, so she was a protector. Um, Jacobed, his mother, was a protector. You know, making the basket with pitch, and then mm -hmm. she ends up nursing him, and you know, and, and then Pharaoh's daughter is a protector because he was supposed to be killed and she rescues him. Mm. And even later on in his story, um, I think it's around numbers, maybe 14 or yeah, uh, no, I, I forget the passage, but where Zipporah, his wife, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're coming back. Um, and he, uh, the God's about to kill him. Okay. And she rescues him from the situation. She takes a flint, you know, knife and circumcises the son mm. uh, because that's the reason evidently God was about to strike him yeah. <laughs> and she rescued him. Yeah. So he had all of these women rescue him. And it's so funny because nowadays everyone has this misconception through, you know, these cultural uh, and pop theology uh, mm -hmm. teachers that men are protectors. Mm -hmm. They got to protect women when, in fact, in Scripture, it's women protecting men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ezer Kenegno, Ezer Kenegno, even in, in Genesis, uh, you know, the helper, uh, as we translate in English, is actually this warrior. It yeah. is a protector, a mm -hmm. rescuer. And so, um, yeah, I love Miriam. I love the whole the story of all of the women in Moses' life. You know, Moses mm. gets the big, uh, bold, um, you Title. know, play, yeah. playbill. Uh, and these women are like all of these little secondary roles when, in fact, he would not have a role if it were mm -hmm. not for all of these women. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. At ISO, we always strive to provide discounts and incentives for our students. Now, we're thrilled to announce our best value ever, the ISO All Access Pass. For just $99 per month, any student can access our entire learning platform. An ever-expanding library of fascinating, groundbreaking teaching at your fingertips for the average price of just one ISO course. There has never been such a prime opportunity to pursue your biblical education. Students in many traditional schools pay $100 to learn every day for every single course. 
With the All Access Pass, that amount gives you access to our entire course catalog. At ISO, you can learn from world-class teachers on a wide variety of subjects, all at your own pace. With the subscription-based model of the All Access Pass, there are no obligations to put yourself in debt for decades. If you're hungry to learn about the Word, there's never been a better value. That's countless hours of teaching and materials with no limit on how much you can learn. Now, more than ever, ISO is excited to connect the Word with the world. Go to isow.org to get started with the All Access Pass today. I remember Hebrew class at the university, we were going over the term help meet uh, that you referenced in, in Genesis. And the term literally in Hebrew, I love, I love hearing a good rabbi mm -hmm. dig into this, but it, it means one who stands opposite to, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is it both has equality in it mm -hmm. and has an alternative perspective that is needed to balance the perspective of Adam, which right. means that Adam would go off course and not be tov good unless Eve were able to correct the perspective he has and bring balance to it. So I think that's a, the help meet is really, I would say it's, it's underwrote, if that's the right word, it's, it's misunderstood deeply by a oh, lot of for teachers. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. And I do want to talk about the relationships that uh, women of God have to men in their life. Mm -hmm. What is a healthy relationship with them? And have you, can you think of examples where, and what it would look like for men to encourage a calling in a woman? That is uh, that feeling the Lord drawing her to a sure. public uh, ministry. Well, you know, obviously my husband has mm. has encouraged me all along, um, and I will go back to that whole MIP experience. Mm. There were, uh, you know, trainers and teachers that were part of that program uh, in Texas many years ago, um, who you know didn't want to recognize the call of my life. Mm. They did not encourage me to get licensed or didn't invite me to their churches to preach, those kinds mm. of things. But my husband, you know, all along, you know, through the years, he would say, you know, because I was ministering alongside him and then, you know, in different women's events and things I would be invited to, which I was invited to, I realized, because I was married to him, mm. you know. there, That's how God works. Mm. But... Um, he would say, you know, Zane, okay, you really ought to get your credential. And I'd say, oh, I don't need that piece of paper to do what I do. Mm. And he'd wait a few years, and he'd say, you know, have you thought any more about getting your credential? <laughs> and um, <laughs> you, really, you really ought to get your license. And so um, I just kind of put it off and put it off uh, until the point at which the Lord uh, said, and it was actually at the death of my grandmother, mm. uh, that it was time to pick up that mantle of ministry uh, from my heritage. And that's when I decided to um, call up the bishop at that time and say, okay, I'm ready to start the licensing mm -hmm. process. So yeah, my husband was, was probably my biggest encourager and still my chief, um, supporter. He, uh, he calls me his co-lead pastor. Mm. Um, and we're, we're, we've always been partners. We've always been partners in ministry. Um, I do have friends, um, whose husbands are not in ministry and mm. yet they're, they're lead pastors. Yeah. Um, for example, Jeannie Brown, she's here in the church of God in Tennessee and Pikeville. I think her husband owns a He's a car mechanic or auto body shop or something like that. Um, and then, of course, Dr. Arlene Hall in Boston, she uh, planted her church more than 20 years ago. Mm. Um, her husband has since become licensed, um, but she is still the lead pastor. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Mia Pittman, in, mm. who was part of our uh, conference last year uh, in Chattanooga, she is the, the lead pastor, and her husband supports her, and it's a beautiful um, mm. you know, relationship. 
and I, I had actually uh, put that as one of the questions about what it looks like when, what, what does the relationship look like when the husband doesn't feel called to this public ministry, but the wife does. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I, for instance, I could think of Joyce Meyer. Mm -hmm. uh, her, her husband doesn't act as a public face of the ministry. She's or very Beth powerful. Moore. Yeah, Beth Moore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, incredible In fact, example. I don't even think her husband was a Christian for a while. <laughs> really? And she was still, you know, she yeah. was uh, doing doing the work of the Lord. So, uh, mm -hmm. And then there are those that are single. Um, you know, there's... there. Jacqueline Smith, you know, she's mm -hmm. a hero uh, in the Church of God, is never married. Mm. Um, we had a guest Sunday at lunch with us who is a pastor, a young man. He's not married. And, um, you know, the first question he got on his uh, interview at the church that he was going to is, well, you're not married, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, yeah. or... Um, you know, what's your position on gay marriage? And he's like, and, and it, the implication mm -hmm. was that he might be gay. And so, Isn't that interesting oh, that, it's horrible. It's yeah. just so insulting. And, you know, the idea that you have to be married, mm -hmm. um, you know, Jesus wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, singles are complete in Christ. They, mm -hmm. you know, we, we aren't completed by our spouse. We are completed in Christ Jesus. Where do you think that came from in our, our culture? I know that that's not just in the Church of God or in Pentecostal denominations. That's in Baptist denominations. I so. think, too, it's a reaction to the centuries of Catholicism where priests mm -hmm. uh, were not married. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the, the Reformation, you know, um, you know, evangel, evangel, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Fine. <laughs> after after the Reformation, um, there was this desire to turn from celibacy, that yeah. that uh, that uh, not only celibacy but the other mm -hmm. things associated with the the priesthood, and um, you know marriage became uh, you know the ideal. But through the centuries, you know women were revered. Who weren't married because yeah. they were so holy and dedicated and pious uh, toward their devotion to God. Yeah. Uh, but then there came this this change um, where the only value women had was was if they were married, mm -hmm. you know, if they were mm -hmm. having a child, and you know that they were sort of worthless if they weren't. Wow. Um, and so I, I'm glad uh, to encourage single folk out there that you are complete. Uh, in Jesus Christ, um, and a full Amen. image bearer with or without a spouse. Amen. And I think that, that that statement that women throughout the ages were honored, I mean, in Catholicism, we obviously don't hold the same kind of degree of reverence towards Mary <laughs> that, that in, in our system of theology. Mm -hmm. However, um, this idea of the mother of God and a woman uh, that God chose who was a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus, that carried over into women who set themselves even after marriage or a husband passed away to be dedicated to God throughout the centuries. Like I can think of Hildegard of Bingen and sure. Catherine of Sien. Mm -hmm. And these women were treated as prophetic, that they Absolutely. could hear from God clearly and right. counsel popes right. on how to make their decisions. Mm -hmm. But that, that really did pass away in the United States and many areas of the Reformation sure. in our culture as a church. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I think about also... Um, you know, I know that uh, you have sons, and how would you say to young men who are, you know, I, I married recently, young men who want to, thank you, um, uh, who want to encourage the women in their life who feel called to ministry, what do you think those husbands and those brothers and future fathers need to hear? 
Uh, just to support uh, mm -hmm. people in their call, regardless if if they're male or female, young or old. Um, you know, my sons um, have have seen me in in ministry mm -hmm. their whole lives, so they have no problem with. And, and in fact, my my oldest son right now is. Um, courting someone who is contemplating whether she wants to pastor or be a counselor. So mm. I don't know Same. what's going to happen with that. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, even in like the seminaries and, and colleges, it's very important, particularly in Pentecostal circles, for uh, young men to embrace uh, a theology uh, that says women are equal because yeah. that's what the Bible says. Yes, correct. And, and I also think that there are two things you are very passionate about um, when it comes to the people of God. You, you mentioned that you felt that this was very connected with women in ministry, and that is, I know you're the head over the prayer ministry at your church. Um, what do you think? Can you tell me some stories of where you've seen prayer be highly effective and what you think that connection is between uh, women's role in pursuing God in prayer and turning the heart of God? Well, you don't have a ministry if you don't have a prayer life. Mm -hmm. And so it is in the prayer closet, in the secret place, where we gain our strength, uh, where we gain guidance, direction, wisdom, anointing. All of these things are born out of our devotion and our um, prayer life. So I encourage uh, women, whether in ministry or, or not, uh, to seek the face of God because, you know, he, he will uh, hear uh, your heart and he comes running. And I've seen women who for decades prayed for prodigals or children that had gone astray. And I know he answers prayer because I see those adult children in church today. And I know it's because of the prayers of, of their moms. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, prayer moves mountains, and I believe in prayer. And if we're going to be Christians, even if we aren't ministers, mm -hmm. but especially if we're ministers, um, we have to model after Christ. And Christ Jesus, uh, in Hebrews 5, 7, it says that in the days that Jesus walked upon the earth, he uh, offered up prayers and petitions with fervent mm -hmm. cries and tears. Um because he knew the one, capital O, who could rescue him from death. And the Bible says he was heard because of his reverent uh, submission or piety, devotion, different translations say. And if Jesus uh, prayed fervently, frequently, faithfully, how much more, and he was the son of God um, and God manifest in the flesh, how much more do we uh, who are weaklings and so very human need supernatural empowerment from on high? And I, I firmly believe that comes uh, through, mm. through prayer. And um, I have committed many, many years ago um, not to speak to anyone before I speak to God each mm. day. And the Lord is the last one that I speak to before I pillow my head. Um, and that prayer without ceasing is, is just a continual awareness that he is with us. If you're driving down the road or whatever you're doing, uh, just being mindful and just, just talking to him throughout the day. And people might think you're crazy or think you're talking to yourself. But in fact, it's it's just being aware that, that he is there and he's at the ready uh, when we call upon his name. Mm. 
Wow. Uh, what do you think are keys to consistency for prayer life that people can hold as, as even if you got to write it down and post it on a wall that sure. will help them? Sure. Um, I think that being in a prayer group, it's one thing to pray individually in your prayer closet, uh, but there's something to be said about accountability. And one of the things and the goals as a prayer pastor is to have every member and attender involved in a small group. Um, You know, it's so easy to come into larger churches and just, you know, uh, sit on the pew and walk back out and not really make connection. And I have found that when people become part of a group, um, there, there is accountability there, there is support, and our prayer groups... Um, just become so tight and so close because when you pray with someone, you are sharing your heart. Mm. You are sharing, you know, the deepest part of you. And um, I would encourage everyone to have a prayer group. Mm. And especially if you're in ministry, and there are a lot of of pastors who get into these silos or or sort of this isolation uh, and a lack of a a vulnerability, Mm -hmm. and a a prayer group, a small group, um, allows that. Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone needs others. No one is an island unto themselves. God created us uh, for communion. Even the Trinity uh, represents that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the perichoresis of the dance together, and they are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, and, and they are part of one. And even the term communion, mm-hmm. you know, has to do with community, mm-hmm. and that we need um, faith community to fulfill uh, all of those one another scriptures. Mm-hmm. So I may have gotten off a little bit on, on the question, but that's, um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's important for those in ministry to, to have prayer partners. Wow. Uh, how do you, how do you fight isolation? I'll say as, as a young person, you know, as, as someone who's living in a world where um, technology, I mean, the world I grew up in when I was five was different than the world I grew up Absolutely. when I was 15. Absolutely. Because it went from everybody's outside to no one's outside. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're programmed, we're being programmed to be isolated. Uh, is there, because I know that in the Wesleyan culture and holiness, there's always been principles uh, to how do I say that, Lord, to create discipline in our spiritual walk so that we're not torn aside by the devil and by the world. Are there principles that young people can put in their lives to keep themselves from becoming isolated from their Mm -hmm. communities and in their spiritual Mm -hmm. walk? Sure. You know, connectivity um, is so important. And even through, you know, the pandemic and not just the pandemic, but even devices, Mm -hmm. you see people sitting um, at the same table and they're in their phones mm-hmm. instead of face-to-face, you know, talking. And so young people can be texting each other across a table mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of actually, yeah, you it. know, and I've, I've seen it even with, with older folk. And so, uh, you know, connectivity is very important. And thank God for Zoom. Mm. But that in-person, you know, and touching, yeah. um, you know, seeing and feeling the expression it's it's so so important, and so mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the depression and anxiety uh, stems from isolation. Wow! And and then when um, they they get to the point where they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. even being in a crowd or interacting. Yeah, and and interacting, and so um, I, I've been blessed um, even in the last uh, few years. 
uh, with a very, very dear friend. She's the armor bearer. She's been traveling mm-hmm. with me for about seven years. Um, and she kind of forced herself on me, so <laughs> to speak. It was like, this is what God told me I'm supposed to do. And I was like, oh, okay. And over time, she convinced me. And Because um, I can get isolated. I can mm-hmm. get rather self-reliant, and um, that's not God's plan. Mm-hmm. We, we need each other. Um, I need you. You need me. And mm-hmm. that's how God created us. So I would encourage young people not to, to remain isolated. Get outside. Mm-hmm. Go for a walk. Go for a hike. Let's go bike together. You know, mm-hmm. do, do do things uh, together uh, and mm-hmm. not just, you know, hold up in front of a computer. Wow. Well, I, I'll tell you, as a leading question into really the last section here of uh, this, this great interview, um, th- th- this has been really good. <laughs> I just want to say that. I, I'll tell you, I wanted to ask you about something I heard you preach about years, a few years ago, I'd say, mm-hmm. three or four. Um, you were talking about John chapter 4 when Jesus had the encounter uh, with a woman at the well mm-hmm. who was a Samaritan woman right. and how in a few moments she went from being someone bound in sin and hopelessness to being an evangelist mm-hmm. for the gospel. Uh, there are two things that you mentioned there. I'd like you uh, just to revisit. We've talked about this already uh, quite a mm-hmm. bit about how um, women can be effective and powerful in as an evangelist, as someone who is a missionary for the gospel in many cultures. I mean, we need to have women in ministry for the sake of women all over the world and men all over the world that can receive better from a woman than they can from men. Uh, but also, as someone who is was seen as locked out of the nation of Israel, mm-hmm. and that is so close to so many people in the United States, uh, in the church, and really across the world, dealing with uh, suspicion of those that are outside of their culture. Can you touch on those two things? Yeah, uh, the the first was, remind me. Oh, uh, uh, women as evangelists, as missionaries, and how effective they can be in the second one is um, how the church can open its heart and, and okay. think of those in within each culture that are foreign to that culture, how mm-hmm. we can think properly about God's yeah, kingdom. Yeah, speaking first to um, the call of women as mm-hmm. evangelists, prophets, pastors, mm-hmm. uh, apostles, teachers, um, they're they're very effective, and you see it throughout Scripture. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, Priscilla, uh, uh, Junia, Hulda, Deborah, Mary, uh, mm-hmm. so, so many, um, and even in Christian history. So, I, for me, that's just a given. Yeah, yeah, that's just a given. Um, and as far as um, you know, the suspicion, um, you had it in in throughout the Bible as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Miriam and Aaron were struck with leprosy because of their criticism of Moses His being wife. married to a Cushite, yeah. you know, this, yeah. this dark-skinned woman, which they were probably all dark-skinned themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Miriam, you know, she was a, a foreigner in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman at the well was a Samaritan. And so, um, you know, Jesus broke all of those barriers. Mm-hmm. He he just tore down those walls because the disciples come back and they're like, oh my Lord, he's talking to a woman and mm. she's by herself. <laughs> you know, God forbid. Yeah. And he, he just <laughs> broke all of those uh, cultural norms. And so, you know, the idea uh, that people would be uncomfortable uh, with an immigrant or someone mm. from a different background um, is anti-Christian it's it is it's Mm -hmm. anti-Christian to be to be like Christ is to embrace every tribe nation tongue and people 
um, a, a paper that I recently wrote and presented at the Society for Pentecostal Studies was um, clergy women of color in the mm -hmm. Church of God, their adversities, their accomplishments, and advocacy for their future. Mm -hmm. And I am convinced that unless the church empowers uh, women across the globe, uh, we are going to miss out. We're going to miss out mm. on on a harvest of souls. Mm. Um, so I I feel uh, as a person somewhat of privilege. I mean I'm I'm Caucasian, and that's mm. going to change in the next couple of decades, yeah. uh, where I'll be the, you know the minority. But um, I feel like it's it's imperative um, that we give voice and platform uh, to women of color and mm. women. Uh, you know, Asians, Hispanics, um, Norwegians, wh whoever, mm -hmm. people of African descent, um, to hear their story, to see the scripture through the lens of their hermeneutic, um, because they're going to reach people we can't. Yeah. This is the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. You know, this is all nations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In Revelation, it said, the blood of Jesus washed saints from every tribe and every tongue. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's the heart of Jesus Christ. You know, the heart of Jesus for women to be, uh, what, what does it say? There's no slave nor free, no male nor female, right. no Jew nor Gentile right. in Christ Jesus, which mm -hmm. means standing on equal ground before him in the mm -hmm. church. So we're Glad to close up this episode on a wonderful note mm -hmm. like that. Um, thank you so much, Pastor Sandra Kay, for coming on to this podcast. This has been quite an interview, and we'd love to have you again one day. Well, I'm incredibly honored, truly. And and just to clarify something that I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, we were talking about young people. Mm -hmm. um, this, uh, this idea of the division between generations, I feel like, um, really needs... Uh, to be addressed in the church mm -hmm. so, you know, that, that we can be one. And, and it even yeah. relates to what we were just talking about with the different ethnicities and races and cultures. Um, Jesus prayed to the Father, make them one as we are one. Mm -hmm. And so when you have the great generation of my in-laws that are in their 90s, uh, the, the boomers, my mm -hmm. husband is a late boomer, I'm, I'm an Xer. My oldest son is a millennial, and my, my baby, my youngest, he's an adult, is, is a Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And so all of those worldviews, all of those mindsets are so very different, mm -hmm. but Jesus is the unifier. And mm -hmm. so I don't ever want to come across as though I am in any way superior mm -hmm. to those of different generations, whether older or younger. Wow. Uh, but I want to have an understanding of, of the best ways to reach all generations, mm -hmm. and that is with the love of Jesus. Wow. So you're saying, ministers, no more division language, no more treating it as those separate classes of people within the church. Yeah, whether gender, age, ethnicity, mm. uh, we are one uh, in Christ, and he's coming for a bride that is in one accord. Amen. Well, you hear, it, you hear it today. We are one. This episode of ISO Insights with Pastor Sandra K. Williams.